I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 3 of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm so glad you chose to join us again this week. There's a lot going on in tennis right now with the Australian Open underway and the Australian Open juniors getting underway. I hope you're finding some time to watch some of these incredible matches and cheer on your favorite players. And I hope your juniors are watching some matches and learning from the players that are making their living out there playing this sport because the kids have a lot to learn by watching tennis and coaches I hope you're giving your students some guidance and what to look for when they're watching these matches on TV and parents if this is your wheelhouse and and you know what to look for out there I hope you're also offering up some guidance to your child and enjoying watching these matches and sharing the sport with your family. So this week's conversation is with a friend of mine, Jeff Salzenstein, who I think is making the rounds on the podcast circuit these days. I'm seeing his name pop up on a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, and I always find him so interesting and so insightful, and this conversation is no different. I was not real sure what we were going to talk about. We kind of went back and forth trying to decide what the topic should be and really came to the conclusion that we should have a conversation on communication and not just communication in the generic sense, but really digging deeper into what it means to be a good communicator, both as a parent and as a coach what we can do as the adults to help the young people that we're working with become better at communicating and also how we can be good role models for those that we're around. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jeff. He, like I said, is always so knowledgeable, so insightful, and comes from a lifetime in the sport. So I really trust what he has to say. So that said, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Parenting Aces podcast. Jeff Salzenstein, thanks so much for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast. I am so happy to be here, and it's been way too long. I am glad we're, we're finally connected again, Lisa. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It has been a long time. I as as we were chatting before we started recording here, 2013 was our last podcast together. So yeah, it's been way too long. Yeah. Well, we let's, lo- let's try to make it so that it's not every five years. So let's, so let's <laughs> close that Absolutely. gap a little bit. That sounds like a great plan. So for my listeners that are not familiar with you, and I don't know how they've missed you if they have, um, why don't you give us just a brief rundown on your background in tennis? Sure. Uh, and I'll, I'll, you know, I can give you the long version or the short version. We'll, short, we'll start with the, sh- the shortest version I can give. And then if you have clarifying questions, we'll continue. But, you know, I've been playing tennis since I was four years old. I mean, I still have videos of my father dragging me around. Well, not dragging me around, but I dragging a racket uh, on the court with him, tossing balls to me, rolling balls to me. He was a teaching pro. He was a USPTA pro uh, in the Midwest in Peoria and St. Louis. My mom was a 4-0. I was an only child. So what do you do when your parents play tennis? You go to the courts. And and that's how it started. Uh, By the age of 
nine, uh, had moved to Colorado with my mother a few years prior to that. <clears throat> By the age of nine, I was number one in the state uh, in Colorado. I remember, my, my mother remarried when I was nine, and my stepdad uh, said, you're going to be the number one player in the state this year as a nine-year-old in the first year of 10 and unders. And I thought, this guy, this guy's crazy. I mean, he's my stepdad now. He's also crazy. Uh, but he was right. And um, then at age 12, uh, I was a national champion. Don't ask me how it happened coming from Colorado, competing against Florida and California in the southern section. But somehow I was a national champion at age 12. Had a a lull during my teenage years uh, where I dropped to 69 in the country. So number one in the country at 12 to 69 as a first year 16. That's quite a drop for someone uh, and it was pretty uh, traumatic, but I was able to turn that around and uh, ended up being top five in the country in the 18s my final year. I think I was ranked second, but there were two guys that didn't get ranked that year, so I always like to say I was top five. And then I went to Stanford, played four years there for the legendary Dick Gould. Uh, five singles my freshman year, developed a massive serve out of nowhere uh, my sophomore year in college and ended up playing number one my last two years. We won a couple of national titles, had an amazing experience there, and then tried my hand at the Pro Tour and played on and off for 11 years, You know, not knowing that I was ever going to be good enough to play pro tennis when I was in college, especially my freshman year when I was playing five singles and had no serve. And uh, my career was probably marked by injury, uh, two surgeries before the age of 25. Um, it was uh, one of perseverance, persistence, and, and a, a deep love of the game, uh, truly uh, playing for the love of the game in the minor leagues, being ranked 150 to 200 most of my career. Uh, spent, uh, spent about five minutes inside the top 100. Uh, which is great for marketing <laughs> that I actually got to the top hundred for a, a, a two seconds. Uh, but uh, did that. And then at age 33, I hung up the rackets and started coaching. I mean, what do you do when you're, when you're a Stanford grad with an economics degree and you've never had a job in your life because you've always played tennis and you don't want a nine to five and you don't, uh, you don't want to work for the man. What do you do? Well, you coach and uh, started coaching in Colorado. And then a few years into that, I started studying online marketing and, and how you could actually uh, create content and monetize content. This was way back in 2009-10, and I launched my first online product in 2011, and I've been doing online tennis instruction in addition to some coaching and consulting uh, for the last seven years, and, and now I'm doing more mindset coaching, uh, working with uh, parents and, and kids, but also with, with athletes outside of tennis and with executives. So. Uh, really expanding my reach outside of tennis. But as you and I spoke earlier, I have a deep love for tennis, for education, for coaching. And uh, that short story became a long story. So I apologize, but I felt like I would give a bit of a, a bit of a time frame on, on what, what we're dealing with here. No, that was perfect. That was perfect because <laughs> it leads us right into our conversation today, which is really focused around communication and communication is kind of one of those underlying themes that has permeated everything I've done with parenting aces from, you know, the very beginning Um, and, and talking about communication between coaches and players, between coaches and parents, between parents and players. And, and so that's what we're going to delve into a little bit, more deeply today, I think. Um, and really one of the first 
questions I have for you, one of the first topics I'd like you to tackle is how tennis parents should be communicating with their children. Well, you've opened up Pandora's box uh, with, oh, with communication. Uh, we can we can talk for hours about it. I'm sure we will have questions going back and forth. But a little bit of context uh, before I answer that question and communication is I've been obsessed probably for the last 15, well, 20 years. When I had all the injuries, I started delving into everything related to peak performance, mindset, uh, physicality, athletic performance, uh, nutrition, uh, even spirituality, uh, technique, footwork, strategy, everything between the lines. And so that became my passion, maybe even more so than winning tennis matches. I had a tendency to get distracted because I was so passionate about that. And I remember listening to, I don't know if it was a CD at the time, or it might've even been a cassette because we're going back to like 2000 three, maybe even before that, possibly maybe 2000. But there was a <clears throat> tape that I got a hold of from a gentleman outside of the tennis world that was teaching uh, about the power of language and the power of communi- communication. And I became obsessed with words and how we communicate. And the way I look at it is <clears throat> there are there are, in, in my view, three types of communication as it relates to the source, let's say. Uh, how you talk to yourself. So the internal dialogue to me is communication. Uh, the words you use, the things that you say on and off the court to yourself. Then there's the communication uh, that you get from people that are uh, influencing you. It could be parents or coaches. And, and as parents and coaches, we have a tremendous responsibility like probably way more responsibility than we realize on choosing the right words and communicating in a positive, healthy way to our children on and off the tennis court. And that part, uh, we, have a, we have a long way to go in that area uh, to open up an awareness and a dialogue and actually to create education around that. I mean, there are tools and skills to, to develop in that area. And then the third line of communication or way of communication, I look at society, like what, what the big bad world or the good world, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, how we're being programmed, if you will, uh, from TV, from the internet, uh, from, um, you know, government, uh, just different sources that are outside of our small network of our coaches and, and our parents. And so there's a lot of, um, programming and brainwashing going on, uh, literally by the time you're 35 years old and that's why, you know, kids are so malleable, we can really, we can really impact them by how we communicate and speak to them. By the time you're 35 years old, uh, 98% of what we're doing is a program. We're waking up every day on autopilot, uh, doing the same habits every single day, thinking the same thoughts, uh, driving the same way to work, brushing our teeth the same way, like everything we're running a program. And in order to change that program, you have to become aware of what you're doing in the first place. And a lot of people are sleepwalking through this. And so one of my responsibilities, I feel as a, as a coach, and and that is the hat that I always wear before I'm uh, an entrepreneur or into the marketing side of things is I think like a coach is, you know, how can we impact other people in a positive way? And one of the easiest ways to do it is to become more aware of your language and how you communicate. So I didn't answer your question directly about parents, 
communicating with their children. Uh, but I wanted to give some context about how I see things and how important it is uh, above all else to really set the tone for the development of a junior player. So Lisa, if you have uh, questions from what I just said, uh, you want to direct me in a certain place, we can obviously get more specific around that. Well, I think that, you know, the way you are presenting this is, you know, it's a big picture and, and I'd like to just kind of funnel down a little bit to the specific communication between parents and kids. And Mm -hmm. because you've worked with kids and obviously when you work with kids, you also work with their parents. You have seen over the years, I'm sure, uh, some really great parent player relationships and some not so great ones. And, you know, maybe even including, uh, your own relationship with your parents, you know, whether it was good or not good. So I'm hoping that maybe you can share with the listeners what you feel makes a good communication relationship between parents and kids. What are some specific ways that parents should talk or, or even not talk about tennis and as it relates to helping their children through the developmental process? Great, great place to, to, to go with this. And uh, before I, again, directly answer that question, there's one other part that I want to mention that I left out and I thought about when you were asking the question. So uh, there's a word called abracadabra. You've probably heard that word before. If you're listening, you can associate it with what? Magic. Magic, right? Well, in Aramaic, the, the, that word Abracadabra actually means you create as you speak. So literally, you have a uh, you have the chance to create magic with your words, and I think that's a really powerful metaphor or a powerful concept for parents and coaches to take with them through this process of of raising their children and developing a champion and creating that magic with your words. You can inspire, you can motivate or you can actually demotivate or uh, really create a, a, a negative situation by the words that you use. And to get more specific, <clears throat> the first place that I start is, well, one is awareness. So just becoming aware of how you speak to your child or as a coach, how you speak to your student, that's the first step. You know, becoming aware and then realizing, oh my gosh, I actually use these words And again, we're not even aware if we're running a program as parents and as coaches, we are saying the same things over and over again, because we've just habitually said these things. And we're not even, if we, if we recorded ourselves and listened to what we say and how we speak, we we oftentimes would be shocked. Uh, I'm shocked often when as a coach, I'm a performance coach. And then if, if I'm getting coached by someone else and they're asking me questions and I answer and I go back and listen and I'm like, wow, I'm really surprised I said that. So again, we are running a program. So just becoming aware of of the words and how you're speaking to your child is so, so important. Then you can also get into tonality, like how the type of tone in your voice uh, as you're speaking, is it a frustrated tone? Is it an uplifting tone? Is it a patient tone? I mean, anybody listening to this podcast knows what I'm talking about. You know, you, you speak and you're a little bit agitated or you're short or you're, if you're frustrated that you're, 
your child didn't put out great effort or didn't play well and you're whatever reason upset that they didn't play well or they didn't put out effort, whatever the reason is, you have that little that little edge to your to your tone. So the words you use and then the tone and then of course body language. I mean that falls in line with communication. So you know how you project yourself physically uh, to your to your child and ultimately you know, you have to, you have to walk the walk as a parent or as a coach, if you want your child to follow. And so it requires tremendous skill development and practice. This isn't, again, something, you know, I hear announcers on, on TV say, oh, he's just mentally tough. He's just, he's just clutch. It's just natural. Now that may be true. There are some athletes that just get out of the bed in the morning uh, and they're, they're mentally tough and they come through in the clutch, but there are many athletes that have developed that skill over time. And as a parent or as a coach, you can actually develop these skills. And the, and the, once you become aware of these things, you know, your, the words that you use, the tone, the inflection, uh, the body language to get even more specific. <clears throat> I start with questions, really asking amazing questions. And again, we're not taught this in school. We're not even really taught this in business. So even if you're successful in business, you know, you've made millions of dollars, you're the CEO of a company, you, you know, you know how to make things happen, or uh, you've, you know, you've gone to several years of schooling and, and you're a lawyer, you're a doctor. There is no, that I know of, there's no class that teaches us how to, how to communicate. You know, it's usually uh, more of the academic uh, type of, material that we learn or just we just figure out ways to survive and and make it happen so asking really uh high quality questions to your child and, and again we can get into examples around that um but uh i would say the 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 curious open-minded growth mindset which we haven't really discussed exactly what a growth mindset is but we can get into that that type of parent is going to ask questions and really listen. And if anything, the, the student or the child is going to do more of the talking, not the parent talking to them or telling them what they should do. And so where you get into trouble is when, again, the, the parent starts to project all of their beliefs and attitudes about how things should be and telling the, the, the student or the child uh, what they should do, how they, how they should do it. And it's more of a one-way conversation rather than a two-way where you ask open-ended questions that allow the, the child to open up. Now, it's a whole other story if you have a teenager that just answers with a yes or no and says, mom or dad, I don't want to talk about this right now. Okay, that's a whole different, different kettle of fish. But, <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure that happens, right? You ask, it, you sure. ask a teenager and they, they give a short, curt response and you can't get anything out of them. So that's probably, there's probably other strategies to get in, get in deeper there, but I really believe in the power of questions starting there once you become aware of actually how you're communicating with your child. Well, so you, you mentioned growth mindset. So in a nutshell, can you just kind of give a down and dirty what you mean by that? Right. So in a, a, so a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Someone that has a fixed mindset, again, sees the world the way that they see it. Like, this is how it is. So blanket statements are made. Like, um, I, uh, you know, if, if the parent's speaking to the child, you always uh, mess up when it's, you know, close at the end of sets. 
Um, that always statement is, is a killer. So always, uh, or you never, uh, work out, you know, after school, they're like direct, um, direct statements that really are, a it's just a belief and there's no wiggle room or openness for different possibilities. So <clears throat> one of, some of my favorite words, uh, are, are, uh, opportunity. You'll, you'll notice this throughout this podcast and possibilities like, or what else is possible? So the, what if questions, uh, the, uh, really questions that start with what they open up possibilities for a conversation and to explore and brainstorm different ideas instead of that, getting back to that fixed mindset. Uh, this is just the way the world works. This is the way it is. And so, it can be challenging at times when you see certain patterns over time that actually uh, provide evidence that that's true. And so we really have to challenge ourselves to take an open approach to have that growth mindset where you ask the questions that create different scenarios or possibilities. So uh, let's see if I can give better examples or different examples around fixed versus growth. But uh a fixed mindset would be a coach that says you have to hit the forehand this way. And then the player, maybe they can't do it that way, or it feels unnatural. And they say, you know what? It's, it's really unnatural to do it that way. That coach just saying, no, this is the way you have to do it. This is, this is the system. This is the model. This is how we do it. And if you want to be successful, you have to do it this way. That's a fixed mindset. The growth mindset would be like, okay, this is, this is how I like to teach the forehand. This is, these are the parameters. These are the ways that I would, what I would like to see. But you know what? Let's take a look at how you're hitting the ball. Let's get some video on it. Let's look at it and let's see uh, if it matches with what I want or what adjustments we can make. I mean, there are several times as a coach that I have, I have a, a parameter that I look for in a technique, but I make a big adjustment when I see a player can't do a certain thing. So as a parent, you can do the same exact thing. You really want to try to understand your child's personality, ask a lot of questions, learn more about what makes them tick, and become, become a coach in that way. Uh, uh, not a coach that's telling them what to do, but a coach that listens, learns, and asks better questions. You know, it's interesting. I think probably the majority of the people listening to this are familiar with growth versus fixed mindset as it pertains to their children, because all the articles we read and the books that are out there that talk about growth and fixed mindsets are pertaining to the athlete rather than the coach or the parent. And so I think it's really interesting to flip the script a little bit and Think about it in terms of how we are interacting, not just how our children are behaving out there in the world. Lisa, you brought up an amazing point. I would give lessons to a student when I was coaching a lot more than I, than I am now. I spend one hour a week, let's say, in a private lesson. Maybe there's some other groups, but let's say it's one hour of private time. I can give the best lesson in the world. I could be uber positive, uber motivating, uh, use all the right buzzwords and language and, and just create magic for an hour and, and have that student leave going, oh my gosh, I feel so confident about my tennis. 
and they can go home and spend the next 23 hours with their parent who is not reinforcing that, who is saying maybe just neutral things or even, uh, or even negative things. It, can com- it completely undermines all the work that was done in that hour. And I always would say, listen, it's actually the hour that I would spend or a, a great coach would spend with a student to really impact them is amazing. But what's happening the other 23 hours? What are the habits? What are the choices? What is the language uh, being used, the communication style being used between the parents? That's where the magic happens. And so to your point, I really feel when we talk about coaching education and development, I believe the script should be flipped. And if anything, we should be facilitating workshops and uh, education for coaches and parents on how they can navigate this process more than we should be focusing on uh, actually what the student or the, the player should be saying to themselves. Yes, they, they need coaching on how to think on the court, how to be positive, how to focus on the, the right uh, targets that they want to uh, uh, create and targets is another word for goals. Uh, but really more education around what the parents are doing, how they're speaking, how they're communicating, how they're setting the tone. I've got one uh, parent that I'm working closely with right now who, you know, I look at it like, the, I don't know if you, you, I'm sure you've had these conversations with others, Lisa, about if you were to make an analogy to the, the coach, player, student dynamic, or child dynamic, I look at the parent as like the CEO. I mean, they're writing the checks. They're they're making the big decisions. And so if you've got a grumpy, negative CEO, that's not great for morale and culture in a business. And so the CEO of the company has to be a great leader, has to be able to build morale, have a gr- set up a great culture. And I work with this one parent uh, that from what I can see, he's doing an amazing job. He's very hands-on. He's on the court with his child, but he's sending me videos saying, Hey, how do you think the serve looks now? And he's not saying, you know, this is how I think it should be. He's really looking, leaning on me. And then he's getting his uh, child to, to practice these skills um, because he doesn't have a coach in his area where he lives. So he's kind of taken on the role of coach but I haven't seen any signs that so far that he's, he has a negative, he's having a negative impact. Now I could be missing that because I'm not with him 23 hours a day, but again, that's where the magic happens is how, what, what a great leader a parent can be in that role as a CEO of this, this process for, for a child. Sure. So you said that you could give some specific examples of growth mindset questions that we parents can use with our children. Mm-hmm. Like what? Yeah. So I'm going to, I have the, I have the concepts for you, but I would love Lisa, if you could, and I'm going to put you on the spot. And if you can't think of anything right away, you can bring it right back to me. But uh, what are some of the things you hear parents say that are just uh, really negative or really unhealthy or toxic um, that m- might either be a, qu- it might be phrased in a, qu- well, let's say, let's say phrased in a question, anything that jump out to you? Uh, sure. <laughs> the one I can think of most is why do you always double fault when it's add out? Gosh, I almost got chills because I was hoping you were going to ask a why question. 
Be- because <laughs> I'm going to make it real. I'm pretty well versed in this yes, fixed and growth mindset stuff. Is, yeah, but so here's the deal. <laughs> There are two types of people in this world and you're going to have, and whoever's listening, if you're listening to this podcast right now, I want you to do, it's gut check time, right? Call yourself out on this, on the type of questions that you asked your child or the type of comments. Be honest with yourself, okay? There are two types of people in the world and you are going to fall along a certain spectrum. And this is where I want you to call yourself out. Not you, Lisa, but whoever's listening. All right. There are creators and there are victims. That's it. You're either creating possibilities or creating growth. That's what growth is, creation, or you're a victim. And then if we, put, if we have those two buckets, you fall somewhere in, that, in your world. Like if something happens in the outside world that's not great, you can blame your, you know, blame your existence or your current reality on something outside that happened rather than taking full responsibility for, for your actions. So, you know, one of my roles as a, as a coach and as an entrepreneur is if anything doesn't go well in my business or if my student isn't able to do something, I have to figure out a way to communicate in a better way or to be a better leader or to take responsibility for my my, my role in it. And a lot of times people just pass the buck and blame others. Those are the victims. So getting back to your question about questions is the why questions are always victim questions. Well, I shouldn't say always. There are ways to ask why questions without it being victim. But the one you asked was, why do you always double fault? That's a total victim blame question. So just to make it really simple, let's just remove why questions from the equation and let, let's focus on what questions. So that same question, why do you always double fault Jane or Jim? And by the way, Jane and Jim aren't probably even names that parents give their kids now in 2018. <laughs> I, I just went back to 1980 uh, with Jane and Jim there. Uh, but if you, if you could change that question from why do you always double fault to, hey, at five all, uh, how are you fe- – first of all, you could start with a how, but I like what. But you could start with something like how are you feeling at five all and not even allude to the fact of the double fault. You just – you say, hey, what, what – oh, actually, here's the what question. What, was, what were you focusing on or what was going through your mind when you served at five all in the second set? Now the dialogue starts to happen. And then, you know, again, the, the child could just shut down and say, oh, I don't know, which, by the way, I, I never give the, the student an out when they say, I don't know. I keep probing because I really want them to, to dig deeper uh, with that and not give me the I don't knows. But if they give you that, hey, you know, I was feeling tight and gosh, you know, I was pulling down on my serve and I double faulted twice. All right. So now that's an opening to say, okay what could you have done differently in that moment or maybe next time? Oh, maybe I could have kept my tossing arm up or I could have aimed higher over the net, but all the questions are centered around they're open. They're what questions and there's no blame. There's no condemning. There's no, why do you always do this? And, you know, if you just start there with the what questions, you are going to be more (laughs) evolved as a tennis parent than, than 99% of tennis parents out there. That's a great tip. And I, you know, I, 
I can hear just thinking back when my kid was playing junior tournaments, you know, I would get something like, oh, I, I always choke, you know, or um, I don't know. I just feeling very yeah. um, self-victimized, I guess, you know, putting yep. putting himself in that role of the victim. And I think as a parent, that was always super challenging for me to deal with because you hurt for your kid because they're, they're, you know, making the situation into something awful when in reality it's one tennis match at one tournament. You know, and it really doesn't mean in the scheme of things, much of anything, but in the moment it's the most important thing on the planet. Right. And mm-hmm. I think it's very difficult as a parent to question your way out of that. Yes. Yeah, so with the example of, let's say, so I want, I was going to flip it and you can, again, Lisa, you can steer it in a different direction if I didn't quite get it, but you could ask all the right questions or be very supportive to your child and they could just say, I always choke. And the child could be the one playing the victim, even though the parent is actually being super supportive. Did I hear that right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So that's an opportunity. So let's flip that there. So let's say you're the parent. You're like, but Jeff, I I actually am really positive and I'm one of those 1% or let's just say 50% to be positive that there's 50% of positive. Yeah. So we'll go from one to 50 and let's just assume everybody listening is going to just step, you know, get on board with all this and, and grow the game and get kids excited about the game just by changing how they communicate with their own children and how they communicate with others. But let's say they're super supportive and that the, the child is playing the victim card of, I always choke. So one as you know, and you've done so many podcasts, you've talked to so many parents and coaches, the timing of when you talk to a player is so important. You know, 15 minutes after a match when they're super triggered and charged and frustrated is probably not the time to have this kind of analytical, open-minded. I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to season eight of Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 3 of the Parenting Aces Podcast. I'm so glad you chose to join us again this week. There's a lot going on in tennis right now with the Australian Open underway and the Australian Open Juniors getting underway. I hope you're finding some time to watch some of these incredible matches and cheer on your favorite players. And I hope your juniors are watching some matches and learning from the players that are making their living out there playing the sport because the kids have a lot to learn by watching tennis and coaches I hope you're giving your students some guidance and what to look for when they're watching these matches on TV and parents if this is your wheelhouse and and you know what to look for out there I hope you're also offering up some guidance to your child and enjoying watching these matches and sharing the sport with your family. So this week's conversation is with a friend of mine, Jeff Salzenstein, who I think is making the rounds on the podcast circuit these days. I'm seeing his name pop up on a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, and I always find him so interesting and so insightful, and this conversation is no different. I 
was not real sure what we were going to talk about. We kind of went back and forth trying to decide what the topic should be and really came to the conclusion that we should have a conversation on communication and not just communication in the generic sense, but really digging deeper into what it means to be a good communicator, both as a parent and as a coach, what we can do as the adults to help the young people that we're working with become better at communicating and also how we can be good role models for those that we're around. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jeff. He, like I said, is always so knowledgeable, so insightful, and comes from a lifetime in the sport. So I really trust what he has to say. So that said, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Parenting Aces podcast. Jeff Salzenstein, thanks so much for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast. I am so happy to be here, and it's been way too long. I am glad we're we're finally connected again, Lisa. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It has been a long time. I as as we were chatting before we started recording here, 2013 was our last podcast together. So yeah, it's been way too long. Yeah. Well, we let's, lo- let's try to make it so that it's not every five years. Let's, <laughs> let's close that Absolutely. gap a little bit. That sounds like a great plan. So for my listeners that are not familiar with you, and I don't know how they've missed you if they have, um, why don't you give us just a brief rundown on your background in tennis? Sure. Uh, and I'll, I'll, you know, I can give you the long version or the short version. We'll, short, we'll start with the, sh- the shortest version I can give. And then if you have clarifying questions, we'll continue. But, you know, I've been playing tennis since I was four years old. I mean, I still have videos of my father dragging me around. Well, not dragging me around, but I dragging a racket uh, on the court with him, tossing balls to me, rolling balls to me. He was a teaching pro. He was a USBTA pro uh, in the Midwest in Peoria and St. Louis. My mom was a 4-0. I was an only child. So what do you do when your parents play tennis? You go to the courts. And and that's how it started. Uh, By the age of Nine, I had moved to Colorado with my mother a few years prior to that. By the age of nine, I was number one in the state uh, in Colorado. Remember, my my mother remarried when I was nine, and my stepdad uh, said, you're going to be the number one player in the state this year as a nine-year-old, the first year of 10 and unders. And I thought, this guy, this guy's crazy. I mean, he's my stepdad now. He's also crazy. Uh, But he was right. And um, then at age 12, uh, I was a national champion. Don't ask me how it happened coming from Colorado, competing against Florida and California and the southern section. But somehow I was a national champion at age 12. Had a a lull during my teenage years uh, where I dropped to 69 in the country. So number one in the country at 12 to 69 as a first year 16. That's quite a drop for someone uh, and it was pretty uh, traumatic, but I was able to turn that around and uh, ended up being top five in the country in the 18s my final year. I think I was ranked second, but there were two guys that didn't get ranked that year, so I always like to say I was top five. And then I went to Stanford, played four years there for the legendary Dick Gould. Uh, five singles my freshman year, developed a massive serve out of nowhere uh, my sophomore year in college and ended up playing number one my last two years. We won a couple of national titles, had an amazing experience there, and then tried my hand at the Pro Tour and played on and off for 11 years, You know, not knowing that I was ever going to be good enough to play pro tennis when I was in college, especially my freshman year when I was playing five singles and had no serve. 
And uh, my career was probably marked by injury, uh, two surgeries before the age of 25. Um, it was uh, one of perseverance, persistence, and, and a, a deep love of the game, uh, truly uh, playing for the love of the game in the minor leagues, being ranked 150 to 200 most of my career. Uh, spent, uh, spent about five minutes inside the top 100. Uh, which is great for marketing <laughs> that I actually got to the top hundred for a, a, a two seconds, uh, but uh, did that. And then at age 33, I hung up the rackets and started coaching. I mean, what do you do when you're when you're a Stanford grad with an economics degree and you've never had a job in your life because you've always played tennis and you don't want a nine to five and you don't uh, you don't want to work for the man? What do you do? Well, you coach and uh, started coaching in Colorado, and then a few years into that. I started studying online marketing and, and, and how you could actually uh, create content and monetize content. This was way back in 2009-10, and I launched my first online product in 2011, and I've been doing online tennis instruction in addition to some coaching and consulting uh, for the last seven years, and, and now I'm doing more mindset coaching, uh, working with uh, parents and, and kids, but also with, with athletes outside of tennis and with executives. So uh, really expanding my reach outside of tennis. But as you and I spoke earlier, I have a deep love for tennis, for education, for coaching. And uh, that short story became a long story. So I apologize, <laughs> but I felt like I would give a bit of a, a, bit of a time frame on, on what, what we're dealing with here. No, that was perfect. That was perfect because <laughs> it leads us right into our conversation today, which is really focused around communication. And communication is kind of one of those underlying themes that has permeated everything I've done with Parenting Aces from, you know, the be very beginning um, and, and talking about communication between coaches and players, between coaches and parents between parents and players. And, and so that's what we're going to delve into a little bit more deeply today, I think. Um, and really one of the first questions I have for you, one of the first topics I'd like you to tackle is how tennis parents should be communicating with their children. Well, you've opened up Pandora's box uh, with, oh, with communication. Uh, we can we can talk for hours about it. I'm sure we will have questions going back and forth. But a little bit of context uh, before I answer that question and communication is I've been obsessed probably for the last 15, well, 20 years. When I had all the injuries, I started delving into everything related to peak performance, mindset, uh, physicality, athletic performance, uh, nutrition, uh, even spirituality, uh, technique, footwork, strategy, everything between the lines. And so that became my passion, maybe even more so than winning tennis matches. I had a tendency to get distracted because I was so passionate about that. And I remember listening to, I don't know if it was a CD at the time, or it might've even been a cassette because we're going back to like 2000 three, maybe even before that, possibly maybe 2000. But there was a <clears throat> tape that I got a hold of from a gentleman outside of the tennis world that was teaching uh, about the power of language and the power of communi communication. And I became obsessed with words and how we communicate. And the way I look at it is <clears throat> there are 
there are, in, in my view, three types of communication as it relates to the source, let's say. Uh, how you talk to yourself. So the internal dialogue to me is communication. Uh, the words you use, the things that you say on and off the court to yourself. Then there's the communication uh, that you get from people that are uh, influencing you. It could be parents or coaches. And, and as parents and coaches, we have a tremendous responsibility, like probably way more responsibility than we realize on choosing the right words and communicating in a positive, healthy way to our children on and off the tennis court. And that part, uh, we have a, we have a long way to go in that area uh, to open up an awareness and a dialogue and actually to create education around that. I mean, there are tools and skills to, to develop in that area. And then the third line of communication or way of communication, I look at society, like what, what the big bad world or the good world, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, how we're being programmed, if you will, uh, from TV, from the Internet, uh, from, uh, you know, government, uh, just different sources that are outside of our small network of our coaches and, and our parents. And so there's a lot of um, programming and brainwashing going on. Uh, literally by the time you're 35 years old and that's why, you know, kids are so malleable, we can really, we can really impact them by how we communicate and speak to them. By the time you're 35 years old, uh, 98% of what we're doing is a program. We're waking up every day on autopilot, uh, doing the same habits every single day, thinking the same thoughts, uh, driving the same way to work, brushing our teeth the same way, like everything we're running a program. And in order to change that program, you have to become aware of what you're doing in the first place. And a lot of people are sleepwalking through this. And so one of my responsibilities, I feel as a, as a coach, and, and that is the hat that I always wear before I'm uh, an entrepreneur or into the marketing side of things is I think like a coach is, you know, how can we impact other people in a positive way? And one of the easiest ways to do it is to become more aware of your language and how you communicate. So I didn't answer your question directly about parents, uh, communicating with their children, uh, but I wanted to give some context about how I see things and how important it is uh, above all else to really set the tone for the development of a junior player. So Lisa, if you have uh, questions from what I just said, uh, you want to direct me in a certain place, we can obviously get more specific around that. Well, I think that, you know, the way you are presenting this is, you know, it's a big picture and, and I'd like to just kind of funnel down a little bit to the specific communication between parents and kids. And mm -hmm. because you've worked with kids and obviously when you work with kids, you also work with their parents. You have seen over the years, I'm sure uh, some really great parent player relationships and some not so great ones. And, you know, maybe even including uh, your own relationship with your parents, you know, whether it was good or not good so I'm hoping that maybe you can share with the listeners what you feel makes a good communication relationship between parents and kids. What are some specific ways that parents should talk or, or even not talk about tennis and as it relates to helping their children through the developmental process? 
Great, great place to, to, to go with this. And uh, before I, again, directly answer that question, there's one other part that I want to mention that I left out and I thought about when you were asking the question. So uh, there's a word called abracadabra. You've probably heard that word before if you're listening. You can associate it with what? Magic. Magic, right? Well, in Aramaic, the, the, that word abracadabra actually means you create as you speak. So literally, you have, a, uh, you have the chance to create magic with your words. And I think that's a really powerful metaphor or a powerful concept for parents and coaches to take with them through this process of, of raising their children and developing a champion and creating that magic with your words. You can inspire, you can motivate, or you can actually demotivate or uh, really create a, a, a negative situation by the words that you use. And to get more specific, <clears throat> The first place that I start is, well, one is awareness. So just becoming aware of how you speak to your child or as a coach, how you speak to your student, that's the first step. You know, becoming aware and then realizing, oh my gosh, I actually use these words. And again, we're not even aware. If we're running a program as parents and as coaches, we are saying the same things over and over again because we've just habitually said these things and we're not even if we, if we uh, recorded ourselves and listened to what we say and how we speak, we, we oftentimes would be shocked. Uh, I'm shocked often when, as a coach, I'm a performance coach, and then if, if I'm getting coached by someone else and they're asking me questions and I answer and I go back and listen and I'm like, wow, I'm really surprised I said that. So, again, we are running a program. So just becoming aware of, of the words and how you're speaking to your child is so, so important. Then you can also get into tonality, like how the type of tone in your voice uh, as you're speaking, is it a frustrated tone? Is it an uplifting tone? Is it a patient tone? I mean, anybody listening to this podcast knows what I'm talking about. I, you know, you, you sure. speak and you're a little bit agitated or you're short or you're, if you're frustrated that you're your child didn't put out great effort or didn't play well and you're whatever reason upset that they didn't play well or they didn't put out effort, whatever the reason is, you have that little, that little edge to your, to your tone. So the words you use and then the tone and then of course, body language, I mean, that falls in line with communication. So, you know, how you project yourself physically uh, to your, to your child and ultimately you know, you have to, you have to walk the walk as a parent or as a coach, if you want your child to follow. And so it requires tremendous skill development and practice. This isn't, again, something, you know, I hear announcers on, on TV say, oh, he's just mentally tough. He's just, he's just clutch. It's just natural. Now that may be true. There are some athletes that just get out of the bed in the morning uh, and they're, they're mentally tough and they come through in the clutch, but there are many athletes that have developed that skill over time. And as a parent or as a coach, you can actually develop these skills. And the, and the, once you become aware of these things, you know, your, the words that you use, the tone, the inflection, uh, the body language to get even more specific. <clears throat> I start with questions, really asking amazing questions. And again, 
we're not taught this in school. We're not even really taught this in business. So even if you're successful in business, you know, you've made millions of dollars, you're the CEO of a company, you, you know, you know how to make things happen. Or uh, you've, you know, you've gone to several years of schooling and, and you're a lawyer, you're a doctor. There is no, that I know of, there's no class that teaches us how to, how to communicate. You know, it's usually uh, more of the academic uh, type of material that we learn or just we just figure out ways to survive and, and make it happen. So asking really uh, high quality questions to your child. And, and again, we can get into examples around that. Um, but uh, I would say the 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 curious, open-minded growth mindset, which we haven't really discussed exactly what a growth mindset is, but we can get into that. That type of parent is going to ask questions and really listen. And if anything, the, the student or the child is going to do more of the talking, not the parent talking to them or telling them what they should do. And so where you get into trouble is when, again, the, the parent starts to project all of their beliefs and attitudes about how things should be and telling the, the, the student or the child uh, what they should do, how they, how they should do it. And it's more of a one-way conversation rather than a two-way where you ask open-ended questions that allow the, the child to open up. Now, it's a whole other story if you have a teenager that just answers with a yes or no and says, mom or dad, I don't want to talk about this right now. Okay, that's a whole different, different kettle of fish. But, <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure that happens, right? You ask a, you sure. ask a teenager and they, they give a short, curt response and you can't get anything out of them. So that's probably, there's probably other strategies to get in, get in deeper there, but I really believe in the power of questions starting there once you become aware of actually how you're communicating with your child. Well, so you, you mentioned growth mindset. So in a nutshell, can you just kind of give a down and dirty what you mean by that? Right. So in a, a, so a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Someone that has a fixed mindset, again, sees the world the way that they see it. Like, this is how it is. So blanket statements are made. Like, um, I, uh, you know, if, if the parent's speaking to the child, you always uh, mess up when it's, you know, close at the end of sets. Um, that always statement is, is a killer. So always uh, or you never uh, work out, you know, after school. They're like direct, um, direct statements that really are, a it's just a belief and there's no wiggle room or openness for different possibilities. So <clears throat> one of, some of my favorite words uh, are, are uh, opportunity. You'll, you'll notice this throughout this podcast and possibilities like, or what else is possible? So the what if questions, uh, the uh, really questions that start with what they open up possibilities for a conversation and to explore and brainstorm different ideas instead of that getting back to that fixed mindset. Uh, this is just the way the world works. This is the way it is. And so it can be challenging at times when you see certain patterns over time that actually uh, provide evidence that that's true. And so we really have to challenge ourselves to take an open approach to have that growth mindset where you ask the questions that create different scenarios or possibilities. So 
Uh, let's see if I can give better examples or different examples around fixed versus growth. But uh, a fixed mindset would be a coach that says, you have to hit the forehand this way. And then the player, maybe they can't do it that way or it feels unnatural and they say, you know what, it's, it's really unnatural to do it that way. That coach just saying, no, this is the way you have to do it. This is, this is the system. This is the model. This is how we do it. And if you want to be successful, you have to do it this way. That's a fixed mindset. The growth mindset would be like, okay, this is, this is how I like to teach the forehand. This is, these are the parameters. These are the ways that I would, what I would like to see. But you know what? Let's take a look at how you're hitting the ball. Let's get some video on it. Let's look at it and let's see uh, if it matches with what I want or what adjustments we can make. I mean, there are several times as a coach that I have, I have a, a parameter that I look for in a technique, but I make a big adjustment when I see a player can't do a certain thing. So as a parent, you can do the same exact thing. You really want to try to understand your child's personality, ask a lot of questions, learn more about what makes them tick and become, become a coach in that way. Uh, uh, not a coach that's telling them what to do, but a coach that listens, learns and asks better questions. You know, it's interesting. I think, probably the majority of the people listening to this are familiar with growth versus fixed mindset as it pertains to their children, because all the articles we read and the books that are out there that talk about growth and fixed mindsets are pertaining to the athlete rather than the coach or the parent. And so I think it's really interesting to flip the script a little bit and Think about it in terms of how we are interacting, not just how our children are behaving out there in the world. Lisa, you brought up an amazing point. I would give lessons to a student when I was coaching a lot more than I, than I am now. I spend one hour a week, let's say, in a private lesson. Maybe there's some other groups, but let's say it's one hour of private time. I can give the best lesson in the world. I could be uber positive, uber motivating, uh, use all the right buzzwords and language and, and just create magic for an hour and, and have that student leave going, oh my gosh, I feel so confident about my tennis. And they can go home and spend the next 23 hours with their parent who is not reinforcing that, who is saying maybe just neutral things or even uh, or even negative things, it can com it completely undermines all the work that was done in that hour. And I always would say, listen, it's actually the hour that I would spend or a, a great coach would spend with a student to really impact them is amazing. But what's happening the other 23 hours? What are the habits? What are the choices? What is the language uh, being used, the communication style being used between the parents? That's where the magic happens. And so to your point, I really feel when we talk about coaching education and development, I believe the script should be flipped. And if anything, we should be facilitating workshops and uh, education for coaches and parents on how they can navigate this process more than we should be focusing on uh, actually what the student or the, the player should be saying to themselves. Yes, they they need coaching on how to think on the court, how to be positive, how to focus on the, the right uh, targets that they want to uh, 
uh, create and targets is another word for goals, uh, but really more education around what the parents are doing, how they're speaking, how they're communicating, how they're setting the tone. I've got one uh, parent that I'm working closely with right now who, you know, I look at it like the, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've had these conversations with others, Lisa, about if you were to make an analogy to the, the coach player student dynamic or child dynamic, I look at the parent as like the CEO. I mean, they're writing the checks, they're, they're making the big decisions. And so if you've got a grumpy negative CEO, that's not great for morale and culture in a business. And so the CEO of the company has to be a great leader, has to be able to build morale, have a set up a great culture. And I work with this one parent uh, that from what I can see, he's doing an amazing job. He's very hands-on. He's on the court with his child, but he's sending me videos saying, Hey, how do you think the serve looks now? And he's not saying, you know, this is how I think it should be. He's really looking, leaning on me. And then he's getting his uh, child to, to practice these skills um, because he doesn't have a coach in his area where he lives. So he's kind of taken on the role of coach but I haven't seen any signs that so far that he's, he has a negative, he's having a negative impact. Now I could be missing that because I'm not with him 23 hours a day, but again, that's where the magic happens is how, what, what a great leader a parent can be in that role as a CEO of this, this process for, for a child. Sure. So you said that you could give some specific examples of growth mindset questions that we parents can use with our children. Mm-hmm. Like what? Yeah. So I'm going to, I have the, I have the concepts for you, but I would love Lisa, if you could, and I'm going to put you on the spot. And if you can't think of anything right away, you bring it right back to me. But uh, what are some of the things you hear parents say that are just uh, really negative or really unhealthy or toxic um, that m- might either be a, qu- it might be phrased in a, qu- well, let's say, let's say phrased in a question. Anything that jump out to you? Uh, sure. <laughs> the one I can think of most is why do you always double fault when it's add out? Gosh, I almost got chills because I was hoping you were going to ask a why question. <laughs> Be- because I'm going to make it real. I'm pretty well versed in this yes, fixed and growth mindset stuff. Is, yeah, but so here's the deal: <laughs> there are two types of people in this world, and you're going to have. And whoever's listening, if you're listening to this podcast right now, I want you to do it's gut check time, right? Call yourself out on this, on the type of questions that you ask your child, or the co- type of comments. And be honest with yourself, okay? There are two types of people in the world. And you are going to fall along a certain spectrum. And this is where I want you to call yourself out. Not you, Lisa, but whoever's listening. All right. There are creators and there are victims. That's it. You're either creating possibilities or creating growth. That's what growth is, creation. Or you're a victim. And then if we, put, if we have those two buckets, you fall somewhere in, that, in your world like if something happens in the outside world that's not great, you can blame your, you know, blame your existence or your current reality on something outside that happened rather than taking full responsibility for, for your actions. 
So, you know, one of my roles as a, as a coach and as an entrepreneur is if anything doesn't go well in my business or if my student isn't able to do something, I have to figure out a way to communicate in a better way or to be a better leader or to take responsibility for my, my, my role in it. And a lot of times people just pass the buck and blame others. Those are the victims. So getting back to your question about questions is the why questions are always victim questions. Well, I shouldn't say always. There are ways to ask why questions without it being victim. But the one you asked was, why do you always double fault? That's a total victim blame question. So just to make it really simple, let's just remove why questions from the equation and let, let's focus on what questions. So that same question, why do you always double fault, Jane, or Jim? And by the way, Jane and Jim are probably even names that parents give their kids now in 2018. <laughs> I, I just went back to 1980 uh, with Jane and Jim there. Uh, but if you, if you could change that question from why do you always double fault to, hey, at five all, uh, how are you? Fe- First of all, you could start with a how, but I like what, but you could start with something like, how are you feeling at five all? And not even allude to the fact of the double fault. You just, you say, hey, what, what, oh, actually, here's the what question. What was, what were you focusing on or what was going through your mind when you served at five all in the second set? Now the dialogue starts to happen. And then you know, again, the, the child could just shut down and say, oh, I don't know, which by the way, I, I, never give the, the student an out when they say, I don't know. I keep probing because I really want them to, to dig deeper uh, with that and not give me the I don't knows. But if they give you that, hey, you know, I was feeling tight and gosh, you know, I was pulling down on my serve and I double faulted twice. All right. So now that's an opening to say, okay, what could you have done differently in that moment or maybe next time, oh, maybe I could have kept my tossing arm up or I could have aimed higher over the net. But all the questions are centered around they're open, they're what questions, and there's no blame, there's no condemning, there's no why do you always do this. And, you know, if you just start there with the what questions, you are going to be more <laughs> evolved as a tennis parent than, than 99% of tennis parents out there. That's a great tip. And I, you know, I, I can hear just thinking back when my kid was playing junior tournaments, you know, I would get something like, Oh, I, I always choke, you know, or, um, I don't know. I just feeling very, um, self victimized, I guess, you know, putting, putting himself in that role of the victim. And, I think as a parent, that was always super challenging for me to deal with because you hurt for your kid because they're, they're, you know, making the situation into something awful when in reality, it's one tennis match at one tournament. And it really doesn't mean in the scheme of things much of anything, but in the moment, it's the most important thing on the planet. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think it's very difficult as a parent to question your way out of that. Yeah. So with the example of, let's say, so I want, I was going to flip it and you can, again, Lisa, you can steer it in a different direction if I didn't quite get it, but you could ask all the right questions or be very supportive to your 
child and they could just say, I always choke. And the child could be the one playing the victim, even though the parent is actually being super supportive. Did I hear that right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So that's an opportunity. So let's flip that there. So let's say you're the parent. You're like, but Jeff, I, I actually am really positive And I'm one of those 1% or let's just say 50% to be positive that there's <laughs> 50% of positive. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll go from one to 50 and let's just assume everybody listening is going to just step, you know, get on board with all this and, and grow the game and get kids excited about the game just by changing how they communicate with their own children and how they communicate with others. But let's say they're super supportive and that the, the child is playing the victim card of I always choke. So one, as you know, and you've done so many podcasts, you've talked to so many parents and coaches, the timing of when you talk to a player is so important. You know, 15 minutes after a match when they're super triggered and charged and frustrated is probably not the time to have this kind of analytical, open-minded conversation. So you got to pick your spots. You got to know your child. You got to give your child space. You got to love them right after the match. You give them a big hug and say, hey, I really appreciate, I, I, you know what I appreciate about what you did today, your effort. And you could be burning inside as a parent or frustrated or whatever, but you got to, you got to watch that, that tongue. You got to watch the tongue and you got to be so precise with your words. Like can't emphasize this enough. Be precise with every word that comes out of your mouth and think of like how you can destroy a relationship. You can have an amazing relationship for 15 years and you could say to that person, you know, I hate you or, you know, I, you know, what something really terrible that can completely unwind an amazing relationship if you're not careful with your words. And so being really precise with your words in a very positive, open way at that time. But then if there's an opportunity where, hey, you know, when you when you when you have more time to gather yourself, do you think we could talk about like what you were feeling or experiencing? Because I'm here for you. I really I'm there. I got your back. I'm here to support you. I want to find every way I can to help you get through these matches. And now if the, the student and the, the child says, hey, I always choke. And again, this is the time where you're you're actually able to have this dialogue and they're not getting frustrated and they're not cutting you off. You get to ask them, like, is that, is that really true? Because is it really true that a player always chokes? And that's where we're going to get into with actual word choices. Again, I'm a big believer, the words like always, uh, and we can get into the whys and, and some of the specifics of this, but always, never, need to, should, those words I believe we should eliminate out of our uh, communication as much as possible. Because when you say, I always choke, telling your subconscious mind uh, that that's true. Your subconscious mind is going to believe everything you think and everything that you say. It will take it as truth. And it isn't true. I bet there are matches that uh, your son or other players have gone through where they didn't choke. So it's, you have to challenge that. It's a belief. You have to challenge that belief that they don't always choke and do it in a healthy way. Like, is that really true? And then if the parent, if the child is open to receiving this information from a skilled parent in this area, then they can help come up with a new belief system or a new affirmation or a new way of doing it. But that also opens up an opportunity for, to get the coach involved or to get a performance coach involved 
uh, that actually is skilled in this because changing the always choke to, hey, you know what? I didn't get through in this match today. <laughs> I didn't come up big, but next time this is what I'm going to focus on. That's a way different way of doing it than saying I always choke. So that's just one example of how you can start to shift patterns and habits because it, what we are what we do repeatedly. So if you continue to say in your mind, I always choke or, or think in your mind, I always choke and you say it to your, your, your mom, your dad and your parents, that's going to be a self-fulfilling self prophecy. And that's where we want to nip that as soon as possible and change it and reconstruct that story and make it more positive and more uplifting and, and create that growth mindset around the goals that, that we're trying to accomplish. Right. And, you know, as you're saying all of this, Jeff, I'm thinking that these communication skills for a parent to use with their child are so important and so valuable. And parents should also be using these skills with their child's coach because it's a way to form a tighter bond, a, a more team-like relationship as opposed to a confrontational one. And, you know, we parents are used to hearing over and over again from coaches how much they hate us, right? Coaches gripe about tennis parents all the time. And I think part of it may stem from exactly what you're saying, you know, that, that parents use a fixed mindset approach when dealing with their child's coach as opposed to a growth mindset approach? 1000%. Like this is what, when I look at, you know, Lisa, we talk about how we can grow the game, how we can get more players involved in the game, how we can keep players involved in the game, how we can develop champions on and off the court, winners on and off the court what we're talking about right here is the foundation. It, it really is. Because if you think about it, anything, any way that you communicate in a healthy, positive growth mindset way is going to inspire, motivate, or improve morale. So if you're a parent and you can go to a coach and you can ask great questions and you can listen and you can actually ask better questions from what you learn and you can challenge their beliefs without, uh, without being negative, you're going to actually create, like you said, a tighter bond and connection with the coach. And then if you can get your child to actually think in a more positive way and rehearse that at night before they go to bed, like have them write out the, their dreams and their goals and actually read it and believe it and think about it. I mean, this is the difference between the champions and the, and the, and the also rams are how they think and how they focus. Yeah. It doesn't mean you still have to work on your technical development. You still have to work on your footwork and you, you got to go compete and play tournaments. But if you're negative Nelly all the time, yeah, you can find ways to win, but that will be the, that will be a very small uh, portion of people that can actually become champions and still be like super negative because there's something in them that's finding a way to be productive out there. It could be unhealthy, but they're productive. But we want to we want a game where it's you know how to compete, you're super positive, and you also can find ways to win. And you want to keep playing, and you want to tell your friends about it. You want to tell other people. You want to grow the game. You want to get more people involved. And so, I believe one of the biggest 
gaps in tennis and even all sports with parents and coaches and children is what we're talking about right here. Because there's a lot of coaches out there, as you know, that, that have no clue about what we're talking about. They, they're not even, they're not, they're not there yet. And hopefully, you know, a podcast like this and more education where we can actually, uh, again, educate through our words. Like we don't have to go around telling people like what we're doing in terms of like, well, this is the secret is like how to, how to communicate better. We just have to lead by example with how we communicate and people feel people want to be around you. You know, let's get coaches to start saying, I love this parent because they're so, they get it. They're so gifted. And that's what I feel with this one parent that I'm working with virtually is I haven't heard him say anything negative to me about his child or about the process. It's just like, he's also a teacher. Like he, he he's an educator. So he understands this. So we, we've talked, we've talked about learning and learning styles. And so getting parents and coaches and, and players all on this, this kick uh, to look at mindset and communication and better ways of, of connecting and communicating how we're going to create a healthier game. I agree a hundred percent. And I, you know, I love what you're doing in terms of helping to educate, not just the players and the parents out there, but also your fellow coaches, you know, you are very vocal in the online community of, you know, talking about and sharing what, the work you're doing. And I, I just think it's fantastic. And, and I hope that you continue to do that because I, like you, I want to see the game continue to grow and thrive and, you know, developing champions is great, but more importantly, we just need people on the court hitting tennis balls. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, when you brought up, you know, how I'm sharing, you know, I have a, I have a vibrant, you know, tennis community, tennisevolution.com. I also have, you know, a lot of videos on YouTube and, you know, I'm going to toot my horn slightly here, but there's, there's a reason why I'm going to toot it is that people have told me how clear my videos are and how they make sense and how it's common sense or like, it's just easy to understand. That's not an accident. (laughs) Like I've been practicing how I speak for 15 years when I started waking up, maybe 20 years when I started waking up to the concept of peak performance. And I started working with people that were in this world and listening to DVDs and Tony Robbins and, and uh, CDs and that one tape about language and the power of language and reading books about it. And so when someone watches one of my YouTube videos and they're like, wow, this, this guy really is good on camera or he's communicate like it's really easy to understand it's not an accident. Like I've literally like this whole podcast, I've been very aware of the words that I'm using. It's a skill that I'm practicing and that's what I do as a coach. And so the reason I share that is if you're listening to this as a parent or as a coach and you can embrace this skill of becoming aware of how you communicate and being obsessed. If you're obsessed with teaching the forehand, be obsessed with how you communicate with your student be obsessed as a parent with how you communicate with your child. Make that like the number one goal in your life and watch what happens to your kid, like, and help them with the skills, help them become more productive with their thoughts and encourage, and encourage them 
And again, a lot of times parents are negative with their children because it's their own. It's we're going to get a little woo woo here, Lisa, but it's their own internal stuff. It's nothing to do with the kid. Right. So whenever you're negative or frustrated or short, <clears throat> take a long, hard look and call yourself out. Like what's inside of you that's frustrated? Are you living through your child? Are you insecure about something? Are you worried about status or image or the amount of money that you're investing? So now you're putting pressure on your child because they're not producing. Like, why are you in this game? Why are you in this process? And ask those tough questions, because if you are coming down on your on your child, it's something inside of you that has to be looked at. And that's a growth opportunity. So it's a, it's a chance for all of us to get better. And Obviously, I, 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 I consider myself a coach first, like I said earlier, and an educator, and I'm working with Racket Fit as well, and we're teaching seminars and certifications, and when I'm teaching those certifications, I'm also practicing how I communicate because I want the people listening to, to understand where I'm coming from and, and to do it in, in the most healthy way, productive, and effective way possible. Well, and hopefully it rubs off on the people watching your videos or, you know, participating in your live workshops and whether consciously or subconsciously, the way that you communicate seeps in, right? And it's not only the lessons you're teaching in terms of the tennis world, but also the more subtle lessons in terms of communication. Yeah, I mean, this what we're talking about today, this is why it's challenging for, for people. And again, I'll just use another example. Like I didn't I haven't used the word problem this entire podcast. I've used the word challenge. So mm-hmm. for me, that's that's by design because it's a challenge for us to solve. It's not we're not going to focus necessarily on problems. We're going to focus on challenges and, and what we can do to solve it. And I and before we uh, wrap up today, I want to make sure that I do give a few more pointers on specific words to use um, right away so that when you get off this podcast, you can actually practice it with people. Um, but uh, Lisa, remind me, where was I going on this one? What was your uh-huh. last, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying that, that when you do these presentations, it's not just the tennis skills that you're imparting. It's also the communication skills. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a okay, more good. subtle okay, lesson. No, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Okay. Okay, good. So communication, it's a soft, it's considered a soft skill or mindset. Like these are what we're talking about today is the invisible game. It's it's the invisible stuff that you can't really measure. You can't say, okay, um, if I use the word um choice or possibility instead of you you can't do this or you can't do that. How do you measure that result? But if you can help a kid with their forehand, their technique, or their serve from 80 miles an hour to 100, that's a tangible, that's a hard, uh, that's a hard skill that you're developing. And that's why we all gravitate towards, well, he's got to work on his footwork and he's got to play the pusher better and play high to the backhand. And he's got he's to do. So those are all hard skills that we can all measure and see but it's actually the invisible game, the things underneath the surface and the, that the program we're running, the subconscious mind, our mindset in between the ears, which is obviously gaining more popularity uh, as people are becoming more aware and communication. These are soft skills that you can't really measure, but these are actually, this is, this is actually the secret sauce. This is what creates the foundation 
to build that for him, to build that amazing strategy, to go for the serve when it counts, to, to have that technique there when you need it and to compete at a higher level and to, and to find ways to win and be successful and to, and when you lose matches to, to grow from it instead of to go in a depression for a month because you lost a big match. So it's the softer skills that, um, that's actually where the, the, where I, the, the playground that I want to play in more and am playing in more because I know how it can transform someone's life and it doesn't have to take 20 years. I mean, literally I've worked with people that within 30 days, they're like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I feel totally different in the way my perspective and the way that I'm seeing the world. That's so great. That's so great. Well, I, we are coming to the end of our hour. So I want to make sure that we have time to talk about the YouTube channel and the online work you're doing and how parents can use that content that you have put out there to help their kids do better. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, before we get into that, again, I mentioned earlier, if you say the word you need to, or the phrase you need to, I should, or you should, um, always, never, especially the shoulds and the needs, that creates expectation. Like you need to do this or you should to do this. So we want to try to eliminate those types of words. And we want to obviously reframe that and start to change the way um, that you communicate. And so an example would be, uh, you need to get your first serve in. Uh, that, to me, that, that creates, when I hear that, I'm, I start getting tight. I, I feel pressure. So like, I need, I need to make another ball. So uh, one, instead of telling your child you need to do it, you could just ask them a question like, what could you do uh, to serve better today or get a higher percentage of first serves in? So you, you let them uh, come up with the answer. But uh, if you wanted to, to actually tell them what to do without saying need, you could say, hey, you know, remember your coach said to keep your head up more on your serve and that really helped you before. Uh, just want to give you a little reminder. You could, you could uh, give that a shot today. That's a lot different than saying you need to keep your head up on your serve today. So that's just a little example. Eliminate the needs and the shoulds. Uh, focus on words like uh, choice, you know, you have a choice, uh, possibilities. Uh, we talked about growth, opportunity, challenges instead of problems. Uh, always be focusing. When, you can say always when you say always be focusing on solutions because that's the positive. But you don't want to be saying things like never and always uh, in a negative light. You never do this. You always do that. Eliminate those words. Another big word to eliminate, and I've said it a few times today, so you can call me on it, is but. So the, the but statements like uh, you, you worked really hard today, but uh, you hit your forehand in the net way too much. The, the, the statement after the but is always going to be the one that is what you actually believe more than the first one. And that's what people are going to hear. So I like to replace the buts with the ands. So instead of saying but, just replace with the word and. So I just want to give a few quick tips, Lisa. So it wasn't. No, just, that's great. Yeah. It wasn't just, uh, you know airy fairy general like soft i wanted to give like hard tangible like this is how you can communicate and of course if you're listening to this and you're intrigued or inspired or you feel like i know a little bit about what i'm talking about you can certainly reach out to me directly about coaching or just having a conversation um, my email is jeff at tennisevolution.com in terms of uh, other resources so i'm going to go through 
uh, a, a list here. Uh, one is my website is tennisevolution.com. Uh, if you're interested, there's free content there. I also have the YouTube channel with, I don't know, 400 videos, uh, mainly instruction. So we've talked a lot about communication and mindset today, but the instruction is around technique and footwork and some strategy. Uh, I'm really, I love teaching the serve, um, kind of some people call me the serve surgeon. It's kind of, some people are like, I don't know, they like that name, whatever. Uh, so and I have I watched love- you teach the serve and I uh-huh. love watching you teach the serve. It is Thank amazing. You. Thank you. I appreciate that. So if you want technique and footwork and strategy, go to you, go to YouTube, the tennis evolution, YouTube channel, go to tennisevolution.com. And one thing that we didn't talk about, uh, and we could, maybe we're finishing with this today, Lisa, is this concept of blended learning. And so I'll go through it really quickly because it'll lead into the next resource uh, for, for your listeners is that the blended learning concept is very immature right now. And I say that because right now you have uh, players, adult players, coaches, uh, parents, they're going online. Well, maybe not coaches, but let's just say parents or players. They're going online. They're finding online content somewhere. And then maybe they don't have a coach. So they're, they're, using, uh, they're using the internet exclusively for online learning. Then you have uh, a group that is pretty much saying, I can't learn online. I'm, I'm just learning from my primary coach. And blended learning, is this is where the future is going with learning, is blending together online and on-court learning. So now you can have a coach or a parent say, all right, we really believe in Jeff's content and you can believe in someone else's content, but let's just use me as the example since I'm the guy talking right now. Uh, So you like tennis evolution, you're a coach and you can curate the content and say, listen, I want you to go study these two videos on your forehand this week until your next lesson. So instead of giving the lesson and you say, hey, work on your shoulder turn and your follow through, and then you don't see that student for a week, and then they're kind of practicing it on their own, but they don't really have a visual. Yes, they could go on YouTube and watch videos, which is blended learning. But let's say they they go, hey, go check out Jeff's program called Topspin Forehand Secrets. You can watch this video. This reinforces what I'm teaching you. Now the student becomes engaged in the learning process. Now they can actually come to their, one, they should be better a week later because they've been watching it and studying it and then they've been practicing it. But two, they can come to their coach and ask better questions. Hey, I saw Jeff doing this or I saw Tom doing this on the video, whoever the coach is, and I have a question about this. And so it become, you get the student to be more engaged in the learning process and it's directed by the coach or the parent instead of it just going to random videos on YouTube. So that's the concept of blended learning. And what I want to offer anyone that's listening, uh, I'm going to create a special link. Uh, I do have a membership uh, opportunity. And so uh, if they go to tennisevolution.com and uh, backslash, or is it forward slash? I don't know. I always get those confused. I Me too. Just slash. Okay. Just slash. <laughs> parenting aces. Uh, I will have a, a page set up where they can get uh, a massive discount on membership, whether they do it monthly or whether they do it yearly. Um, that's something they can go as a resource where they have all of the, the tennis instruction content um, that they can access. Uh, so again, it'll be tennisevolution.com forward slash parenting aces. And then finally, 
I have a separate website called jeffsalzenstein.com, and that's where you can find more of what we've talked about today, the, the performance coaching, the mindset, uh, <clears throat> the leadership training. Uh, that is non-tennis related. But you know what? Tennis, as you know, is, is a microcosm of life. You learn a lot about yourself on the tennis court and through this tennis journey and how it relates to how you live your life. And so I'm just taking my years of, of experience as a tennis coach, as a player, and, and bringing it outside of the tennis world to, to hopefully influence as many people as I can. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for the generous offer to the Parenting Aces community too. And I will have links to all of Jeff's resources in the show notes at parentingaces.com. So don't worry if you didn't write them down, there will be clickable links for you right there on the website. Jeff, this has just been a fantastic conversation as I knew it would be. And why we waited five years to do this again is beyond me. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking time to share your experience, your knowledge, your enthusiasm with the Parenting Aces community. Thank you, Lisa. You know, you know, you're in the right spot when you finish a podcast like this and you feel more jazzed, more energized. You want to like go run through a wall because you want to make a difference. So I know that I've, I've found my sweet spot of what I love to do and where I believe I can impact. And I appreciate you for bringing me on and, you know, let's keep brainstorming and finding ways that we can uh, improve uh, where we're at right now and where we want to go with the game of tennis and specifically to your audience with parents, because it's the parents that are going to make the, make a huge difference and, in the future of our sport. And we got to, we got to keep, we got to stick in this together. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. And to my listeners, thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out ParentingAces.com.